Thanks for listening to this episode of Catholic in America, part of the St. Dominic Media Podcast family. Catholic in America seeks to bring you into a conversation about the intersection of faith and culture in the midst of the unique circumstances we face today. Thank you so much to all of our sponsors on Patreon. And if you'd like to be part of our mission, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a rating, and financially support us at patreon.com. Hello and welcome to Catholic in America. Today our topic is the Pope. Why do Catholics have one and is it really biblical? So in today's uh, episode, we're going to talk about objections to the papacy, to the Pope, um, different misconceptions that people have about the Pope, and the church's teachings about the necessity of having someone in that role of Peter. So stay tuned and wait for the answer to why the funny hat. Hey guys, welcome to Catholic in America. Uh, we're talking about the Pope today. I'm Father Michael Nixon. I'm joined by Father Tom Dillon and Father Doug Martin. If you would, please like, share, and subscribe. That way we can get the message out about St. Dominic Media and also about what we're doing in these videos. Awesome. So guys, let's let's jump right in. We talked about the hats. Um, funny the, the funny hat that the Pope wears. Uh, we probably hear lots of objections. Maybe a lot of people that are watching this who are not Catholic, um, who if they think about being Catholic, it might be one of the first things they think about is the Pope and why they don't want to have anything right. to do with the church because sure. of that. So what are some of, of, of the objections to or maybe, maybe um, understandings or misunderstandings of, of the Pope that, that people often have? Sure. Well, I mean, I think one is is that it's made up. I mean, it, it wasn't there initially in Scripture. Jesus didn't really give us this thing called the Pope or the papacy, and that is something that, that Catholics have just made up, and, and really kind of the hierarchy made it up so that they could keep control of the people or they could have things kind of go the way they want to. So it's really kind of have a club. control. Yeah. Have a club to wear their hats. That's right, right, right. Cool yeah. hats. Cool hats. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and another reason is that we've had, throughout the centuries, we've had some pretty bad popes, especially during the Middle Ages, a lot of corruption that was going on in the church. And so the, just the objection of, you know what, Jesus didn't set this up. This was a man-created institution. And proof of that is look at all the corruption which is present and has been present throughout the history of the Catholic Church. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of it. If you, if you go if you go through the history, uh, <laughs> there definitely is a lot. I think one thing that that uh, maybe that I've encountered before is people's understanding of the, of the Pope, and we can get into what the Church actually teaches about that. But thinking that the Pope basically tell you know he he's he's the source of truth like he's the yeah. one who tells us what to believe how to believe and it and gives marching orders yeah, yeah. That, that, that in a sense he's kind of a, the uh, the uh, the president of the country that gets elected every yeah. however, however many years like president of the Catholic Church that decides policy he might be a conservative or a liberal or whatever yeah. it is you know again yeah. we see everything through our two party system here in America right. but uh, but yes yeah, so, so I, I feel that sometimes people had that sense that like well I have my Bible and I've got my church and I'm a part of Catholics have this pope who kind of like tells them what they're supposed to believe. So this understanding of the Pope as the arbiter of, of, of what we believe as Catholics. Right, and, and I think that's that's part of this unnecessary part of it. I mean, it's not necessary. Why, why do we need it? We, we, we haven't needed it, you know, at least if I'm thinking of it as a non-Catholic, we haven't needed it for three, four, five hundred years. And if we have Jesus, do we really need someone here on earth leading us in this way? It's kind of in his role. I mean, I think mm -hmm. that's what we would believe as Catholics. That's part of this. But that, that, you know, why do we really need them? I mean, it's not brought about unity anyway. If you look at the Christian faith itself and how broken apart it is, has it created the unity that maybe people thought it might? 
So going back to the areas of scandals and, and kind of ancient times in the history of the church, also too, a lot of times when people hear about the Pope, it's linked to scandals within the church, things that the Pope did or didn't do. Again, seeing the Pope as kind of the CEO of the yeah. Catholic Church and his decisions um, that are about moving priests or, or other things too, in a sense can be seen at worst nefarious and evil, um, and maybe best case as, as just incompetent. Right. So it's in a sense you've got this, this worldwide <laughs> sure, organization sure. with someone who's ahead of it, and a lot of, a lot of bad things have been done. So, so Or not done, or maybe not in done. action. Absolutely, you know? I mean, absolutely. Because I hear the Pope criticize these days for not acting, particularly in some of the scandals that, that you know, have been more recently, like with the priest scandals that most everyone would know about, that, that maybe he hasn't acted you know, authoritatively enough. Or, or he hasn't done enough in his role to do that. Or another another common one, which I hear um, sometimes, is uh, what did the Pope do during World War II? Like yeah. the, the supposed inaction of the Pope during World War II and cooperating with the Nazis, cooperating with Hitler, and uh, therefore uh, participating or at least being cooperative in what what the Nazis were doing. That's good. I mean, there's lots of history. Oh, you have Urban II uh, calling for the Crusades and calling for the Crusaders to go to the Holy Land and look at the, the 300 years of war that proceeded from that as the Pope was calling out, not leading the spiritual, not leading the spiritual uh, church, but leading the church as a military force. And uh, I mean, you've had lots of uh, actually Popes who've been into battle, went into battle during the Middle Ages. So it's just like a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. Some um, people probably love that, though, if, they, if the Pope yeah, is yeah. right in the battle. Yeah. So, but it, it kind of makes me think, too, and again, wherever our, our, our viewers are at with their understanding of the Pope, that it, it almost becomes this sort of kind of blank slate that you can put, what, you can project whatever you want onto it, the Pope. Um, you know, it becomes this sort of kind of... Uh, it's really uh, mysterious, it's Mysterious yeah. for people. And, and to say, this, yeah. this head of the secret organization, yeah. this, yeah. this, you know, this... Uh, all Boys uh, Club, by the way. All Boys Club, yeah. the, the, the scandals within the church, the, you know, past corruption or present corruptions within the church. Uh, it all kind of kind of links, you know, get, gets linked together underneath this title. And so a lot of people people to say like, I got Jesus, I got the Bible, I don't need any of that. What you, uh, so so yeah. kind of coming from that perspective, for all the baggage that's associated with it, the people are, pro are, are oftentimes comfortable just saying, I'm, I got my own thing well, going on here. And I think especially in the United States too, I mean, the, the kind of the experience, the religious experience we have here is, is a little bit more democratic, a little bit more individualistic, a little bit more independent. And so, again, I don't have a need of him. I mean, what, what really do I need from the Pope himself as a, as a normal everyday Christian who's living in, you know, on the, on the panhandle of Florida or wherever we're living? Um, you know, what real, what real uh, difference does he make in my life particularly? And, and so I don't really have need for him. Well, up until recently here in the United States and continuing today, actually, the, the suspicion against Catholics, think of those in public office, when, sure. when Kennedy was, was trying to get elected, one of the things that he had to convince people of as, the first, you know, as yeah. one of the first serious candidates for presidency who was Catholic was that he wasn't going to be taking orders from the Pope. Right. You know, that he wasn't, you know, on, having the red phone to right. the Vatican where the Pope would be like, oh, you know, don't sign this bill or do sign that bill. Which for um, us as Catholics is just laughable to Right, think of. right. Yeah. Um, to, that the Pope would even know what sort of bills were going on. But in a sense, yeah. it, it kind of continues nowadays with, with we have a, a president who's Catholic, who, 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 who uh, claims the Catholic mantle, uh, whether his policies are or not, uh, we can talk about that too. Sure. But other, and other people in public office, you know, Supreme Court uh, nominees and stuff that get poured, put forward as being Catholic, there's this sort of constant suspicion 
of of something you know foreign to American uh, to the um, American ideals that's influencing the, uh, those people, and it's it's almost again kind of a boogeyman that you could throw uh, throw against when you suspect somebody and they happen to be Catholic or that they're taking orders from the Pope. I've even been asked, do, do we worship him? It's almost as if. Uh, the Pope is on a different level from from all of us, and, and, and it's almost as if Catholics revere him so much. I mean, and, and you can kind of get it a little bit, especially here in the United States. He just visited Philadelphia not too long ago, and just the, the pomp and circumstance and the hurrah that was gathered around him and people that are there, you know, that were there cheering him on and, and being a part of these huge events that he was in. And then also when you see footage over in Rome of these people lining the streets as he comes through, even crying, wanting him to kiss their baby and those sorts of things. Of course, we don't have a problem with politicians who kiss their babies, but I guess, you know, we, we don't want the Pope to. But, you know, that, that, all the fanfare that goes along with that I would never maybe, let a politician kiss my baby, by yes. the way, in case you're one. <laughs> you have a baby? No, he does. But all the fanfare that, that goes along with it, that maybe we're making too much of him. Maybe we're making too big a deal out of this guy. Hmm. Well, yeah. and also, the, I mean, a major piece, at least that I've talked with people, especially through RCA, people coming into the Catholic Church, is the misperception that every single word that the Pope speaks is the word of God. Yeah. Or that we believe it is. Yeah, at least. that's yeah. the perception. Yeah. That's not yeah. the actual reality. Mm -hmm. But the the misunderstanding of what's called infallibility is that the infallible word of the Pope, um, which as Catholics we know is very qualified and limited to very, limited. very to very specific situations through checks and balances and so forth. But there's this perception that everything that the Pope says, every time the Pope Francis speaks off the cuff when he's on a uh, plane and getting on and answering reports that this is the word of God and therefore dogmas and doctrines are being changed willy-nilly overnight because the Pope said it. Therefore, right. it must be true. Because he, you know, he, he skipped breakfast that morning and, and he decided to, to answer a reporter's question, which is which, which, you know, a real thing. And the yeah. way it gets reported, and that's maybe part of the struggle too, most people when they see something about the Pope, it's from a secular newspaper sure. or, 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 or a TV station that's gonna have a very limited understanding of the, of the Pope and it's gonna paint the papacy and the church in political terms, because that's kind of how we see everything. Right. Some of the, the religious stuff that I've heard before that's come up that is, is people say that the Pope is, is the Antichrist. Sure. That people will link, particularly going through the book of Revelation and some of the, the eschatological end times things, the Gospel of Matthew, they'll put links to the Pope and say that, okay, this is, this is who this actually is. And, and, and since that's kind of, that, that's, a, that's a very American uh, 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 sort of uh, meditation on the papacy, because we've had that, you know, there were political cartoons in major newspapers up until quite recently yeah. that when they would, you know, they would paint popes with their bishop hats, yeah. trying to control things and trying to, you know, brainwash children and trying to flood the streets with Irish immigrants and all these <laughs> sorts of things that were yeah. kind of the fears of the day. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's definitely uh, continued in some um, Protestant, uh, uh, oftentimes fundamentalist uh, denominations that see the Pope as the fulfillment of the Antichrist. So in a sense, he's the embodiment of everything that stands against the kingdom of Jesus, which is a pretty serious charge. Right, and I think some of this happens because of, of misunderstandings of who the Pope is. And, and you know, some of it's not unfair in the sense of 
we haven't always done a good job of explaining what we believe the Pope is, what, what we believe you know, his role is to be, um, what we've understood it to be throughout the history of the church. And also with our society not really doing deep dives into history, not really understanding the role of, of the papacy all the way up through the history of the church. And so, uh, you know, I think some of it is is kind of earned on our part for not being very clear and not being very descriptive of it and making it feel like it has this veil of secrecy, when in actuality it's not. It really is out there in plain view for anyone to see, and specifically with the internet now. I mean, you know, nothing's hidden anymore. And so, you know, the, the some of the misconceptions that are there, you know, you have to do a little bit more of a dig, but you also have to be a little bit interested to, to want to do that. And so most people, you hear a few bad things about it or you have a, a bad view of it and you don't really see the need to kind of do a deep dive. I don't have use for it. I don't have a need for it or it's corrupt anyway. What would I want to have to do with it? And then it's got strange symbols attached to it. It's yeah. got rings or Funny hats, you know, yeah. hats yeah. Um, or, or, or you know, yeah. staffs and things. Yeah. And people are like, I'm not really into cosplay. I'm not really into <laughs> cosplay. Right. You know? I think, um, think Francis sold that though. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so just, just kind of recognizing that and then you have a group of, of I would say, pretty faithful uh, Christians and, and as, yeah. as Catholics that we say yeah. that not only is he sort of like just sort of part of the mix, that he's an important part of this. And that's maybe the challenge for some people to hear us. And, and we're going to dive into that um, in, in the next section here about what the church actually believes about the Pope and how this can actually be a help to our faith, right. help us to grow closer to Jesus even, which yeah. seems crazy with all yeah. the stuff, all, all, all of the uh, the objections uh, that we've voiced so far, but that he actually be Become something that 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 helps us to grow in our relationship with the Lord and our walk yeah. as Christians. Yeah. Excellent. So we're going to take a quick break right now, and when we come back, we're going to dive right into that. We're going to dive into uh, uh, the church's actual understanding of the Pope, the papacy, where it's rooted and found in the Bible, and uh, how it can help us to be better Christians. Hey guys, thanks for checking out Catholic in America. I'm Father Michael Nixon, and I like to party. <laughs> and I am Father Tom Dillon, uh, priest here in the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee. I think I have the longest hair in the, probably the state, and uh, I too like to party. I like whiskey and cigars. Father Doug Martin, I'm also a priest here in the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee, and I'm married and roll tide. Oh my goodness. Uh, yes, sir. Um, <laughs> I was okay with the being married part. <laughs> <That's my thing. laughs> In Catholic in America, we engage the intersection between faith and culture. Tune in every week because no topic is out of bounds. We want to thank you so much for supporting this show by watching it, by liking, sharing, and subscribing. How else can they support the show? You can also become a patron on Patreon and support us financially. So if you support us, there's all kinds of swag. There's t-shirts, there's coffee mugs, or maybe bumper stickers. I don't know, maybe we could come up with a wig from Father Tom. <laughs> Father Tom wig would go, go a long way. So thanks for your support. God bless y'all and check us out next time on Catholic in America. So guys, diving into the papacy. Again, we talked about a lot of the conceptions, maybe misconceptions that people have, a lot of reasons why people be like, I got yeah. Jesus. I don't. I don't need any of that. Right. Let's talk about the foundations of the, what what the church actually believes about the Pope. And I think maybe the, the most surprising thing would for most people is that the papacy, the Pope, the, the role of the Pope is actually biblical. 
Yeah, our first argument would be from Scripture. It wouldn't be really from history or from tradition. It would really be founded in Scripture itself and be a, a biblical thing. I know, you know, I, being a convert, that was one of the big things for me was that I was really shocked about. I could always blow the Catholic Church off as long as I thought there was things being added to it that was either extra biblical or, or had not a lot of relevance to it. But boy, when you find out that how biblical it is and that it's founded there first and is built upon from there. That's the, the biggest, I think, the biggest surprise for someone who's not Catholic. So let's dive into, why don't we dive into Matthew 16, 13 and following. And I'll just read it through and then we can kind of just unpack it because it connects to a lot of other images and moments from Scripture um, and, and, and has a lot of ramifications for the rest of the story of, 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 of the church, really. So in verse 13 of Matthew 16, it says, When Jesus went into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said in reply, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him in reply, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And so I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. I will give you the, king, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he strictly ordered his disciples to tell no one that he was the Messiah. So we can get into that. Now, this is a powerful scene for a lot of reasons, but what, what kind of strikes you right off the bat um, about this scene, particularly as, as it pertains to our understanding of, of the papacy? Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing is, is that, um, who do you say that I am? And the first images they give are, are not just some people from the Old Testament. These are the stalwarts. These are the 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 ones you have monuments to, and the and the you know and, and big statues and everything. I mean, these were the big time, big hitters, Hall of Fame, if you will, in the Old Testament. So first of all, it already tells you that what people are saying about Jesus is something very big. It's not just that Jesus is just some dude walking around, but the the following that he's having, the kind of impact he's having on the people in that day. Is, is pretty big, so much so that they're like, yeah, you're like Elijah, you're, you're Jeremiah. I mean, and, and then all these prophets. And instead, Jesus says, now, who do you say that I am? Hmm. And so, so you know, to, to say all of that would be flattering enough for, for, you know, a prophet in that day to be called those things would have been a very flattering thing. But then for, for, Peter, for Simon Peter to say, you are the Messiah, you know, who was the Messiah in the Old Testament? That's the question here. And that, that, that's a proclamation that then leads to Jesus' reaction of really, of, of he's Simon, but he's changed his name to Peter. So right. what's, what's the significance of, of, of that name change? Well, I mean, in the Old Testament, you have multiple times where God changes someone's name. So he changes Abram's name to Abraham, which is indicative Sarah to Sarah. Uh, you have a Jacob, whose name means deceiver, who then God says, no, you'll be Israel, one who wrestles with me. Mm -hmm. So like this, this notion of the name change in the Old Testament is especially important because it's one, it shows that God knows our hearts, knows our minds, knows who we are better than we know ourselves. And only in him can we actually discover our truest and deepest identity. That's right. why in this name change, which is very Abrahamic for Simon, as he moves from being Simon to Peter, he becomes the, the rock. Although, and actually just a few short lines, he'll also be called the pebble, the stumbling stone in my mm -hmm. shoe. <laughs> as he yeah, says, yeah, Jesus yeah. immediately yeah. says, like, Peter, don't get too big for your britches. He's like, yeah. right. because you can just as easily become a stumbling stone if you recognize that you are not me. Right. You follow me, I don't follow you. Yeah. As, 
and all the, all these those examples that you shared of when God changes someone's name, He's also giving them a mission as well. Correct. So I think that's it's important too. It's 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 yeah. a it's a calling, <laughs> and Peter's always already followed him. He's already dropped his nets. He's followed right. Jesus. He's been with him for years now. He recognizes who Jesus is. Jesus says it's the Father who who revealed this to you, not not flesh and blood. Right. And so therefore you are Peter. And this this word, it's 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 a uh, you know pe- you know Petra you know as as the rock. Uh, Kephas, you'll see it sometimes mm-hmm. described like in the Acts of the Apostles. It's this. It's, it's not really ever used as a name before this. So it's kind yeah. of interesting. Like we would say Rocky maybe is, is like the, right. kind of the, 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 the closest equivalent. But he changes a name and it denotes an authority that's given. It also denotes a mission, a direction for that, per, that person's well, life. Also indicative of the word also that he says, the keys. Yeah. And it's like this, the, the people who, you can't flatten, no one should ever flatten the scriptures. So you find these re- repeating themes, these repeating motifs, these repeating uh, symbols, mm. like especially like the Gospel of John. I mean, you can't read the Gospel of John accurately if you're not reading it in symbolic language of all the very heavy pregnant meanings sure. that are present within all these different signs and symbols. But also the notion of the keys, that mm. it's, it's not by accident he says, the keys of the kingdom of heaven will be given to you. Because actually in the Davidic kingdom, if you go back to the uh, kingdom of King David, which is the Davidic kingdom. And as you'll find this, the structure of the kingdom is actually laid out in the books of Chronicles and Kings. You'll find that then actually in the structure of David's kingdom, and remembering that Jesus as the Davidic Messiah, the son of David, comes and establishes a new kingdom. Which is primary for Matthew. Here. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like the whole gospel of Matthew is all about the Davidic. David. Yeah. All about, in the background of, of Matthew's mind is mm-hmm. David, David, David. Yeah. It's why he is the son of David, why Joseph is what, from the line of David very clearly. But then when you get into that Davidic kingdom, David established his, his kingdom upon 12 leaders, one of whom was the primary steward. Mm-hmm. And this is why like that, that notion of Jesus is established. Is Eli- Eliakim? Is, Eliakim. Is the, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. like this notion of. Just take him from one given to another. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, so in that in the Davidic kingdom, you have this notion of like what? He has these 12 principal men, but then among those 12, he has one who is the chief steward, the one who has the keys of yeah. opening the doors and unlocking the doors. Yeah. And he is, he's responsible. He has the responsibility of that, which is why Eliakim later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, and it's important too. I've I've heard the scriptures described as the world's first hyperlinked text, yeah. and that throughout the Bible, and you have it probably in footnotes. Most people they have footnotes in their Bible that every verse, every word that's used is, in a sense, touching on and, ref- and referring to, you know, tens of hundreds of thousands of other words throughout the Bible, particularly from the Old Testament to New Testament. We as Catholic sure. Christians believe that the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament. The New Testament is hidden in the Old. So everything that's happening in the Old Testament are not just sort of moral stories that we hear about how to behave. Right. They're, they're prefiguring, they're prophetic utterances about what's gonna be fulfilled in Jesus. So oh. the fact that Jesus fulfills that whole kingdom, kingdom uh, kingly house of David, it's no wonder that he establishes somebody Peter, not because of Peter's perfection, as we'll see in like a couple verses later, yeah. where, where Peter's like trying to oppose Jesus going to his death. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, you know, yeah. that you're a stumbling block, like you said, a pebble to me. So, but because of what Jesus is doing, that he invites the apostles as, as the, the newly established uh, uh, kingdom of Israel, mm-hmm. he, uh, you know, the 12 tribes of Israel, he invites uh, Simon, who becomes Peter, as sort of the first among, e- among equals within that, that Jesus is, is working, that this is gonna be his church and it's going to extend to the end of time. Well, and also within that is the notion of cooperation. Like Jesus doesn't just do everything himself. 
like Moses. We wish he would. I mean, you know, nice. it'd be nice. Yeah. Be nice that'd be perfect. But Jesus uses yeah. imperfect instruments. Mm. And then using the Pauline, and this is where, like, especially this is a major theme for Catholic theology yeah. and interpretation of Scripture, but it's also a Protestant one, yeah. is that the best way to interpret Scripture is that Scripture interprets Scripture. Right. And so interpret Scripture with Scripture. And that's why the Pauline notion of that not everyone in the body of Christ has the same function and role. Like this notion of what? The eye cannot be the ear, the ear cannot be the mouth, the foot cannot be the hand, like all these different ones. And one of those, and in that description, the Pauline description of the church, one of them is those who are teachers, those yeah. who are apostles, those who are all the different descriptions that St. Paul gives, because all of those are necessary for the healthy and well-functioning of the church, including those who have been given authority. Right, mm. right. And, and you know, in just case we're, we're, maybe we're making too much of this whole Son of David stuff. I mean, even though this is the whole push of Matthew, and the, you know, showing this is the Son of David. Again, there's genealogies going back to David himself. Is this idea of Messiah as well? I mean, the, the Messiah in the Old Testament was the one who was going to come and rule the nations. And so the idea that Jesus is the Son of David, the King of David, taking that throne of David himself, and that he would not come back and use the the very mm. thing that that God expressed and showed in the Old Testament, these 12 tribes, this cabinet that we're talking about, and that you'd have a prime minister over this cabinet. It's, it's all extremely biblical, goes straight through the Old Testament into the New Testament. And our Lord would use that in his, Davidic, in, in his kingdom, using those old Davidic kingdom uh, references, is absolutely pointing to what Jesus wanted to do, that this is the way it was going to be set up. And so he was trying not to just, it wasn't as if he was trying to set up something new. This is something that every one of these guys would have known. And this is something that every one of his hearers who were Jewish mm. would have known exactly what he was saying. Most of these people had the whole New Old Testament memorized, at least the first five books in the Psalms. And so that, he wouldn't have made this reference and them not known what he was talking about. Like today, we don't really know because we don't know our Bible the way we should. Even good, even good non-Catholics who you know spend time in Scripture memorizing it, we still don't know all these connections to it. This is something they would have immediately knew what he was talking well, about. The there, keys. I don't know if you know this, uh, but I came across this the other day. The, uh, the even if you go to the Gospel of John and you go into the the, the Passion narrative where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then Peter's there trying to lop off people's heads. Right, yeah. <laughs> which is yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's where the guy like he, he cuts off his ear, mm -hmm. which only makes sense as if he was going to the side, like the because he, he's going for the head. Sure. So he goes to the side, gets the guy's ear. Malchus, poor guy. But yeah. then, but this, this notion is like there's these, and even in John, John's clear reference to Peter as being one of Jesus's main men, yeah. in the same sense that actually, as David is leaving Jerusalem, going through the Mount of Olives as he's fleeing from Absalom, who's coming after and going for his blood, which is again, parallels the betrayal of Judas. Yeah. He'll, be go he'll be going through, and then someone is coming out throwing stones at him, Shimei yeah. of the house of Saul, all of a sudden you'll have Jesus's nephew, who is Abishai. But David's the, nephew. David's, yes, yeah. David's nephew, who's the brother of Joab, who says, let me go off and cut off this dead dog's head. Mm -hmm. Right, because as he wants to go right. after his head, and that's where David will turn to Abishai and say no, because you will also see that as a prophecy which is foretelling Jesus, who will likewise tell Peter, no, you may not, right. you may Absolutely. not return violence with violence. We will be vindicated by the Father. Yeah. We do not have to vindicate our own hands. But still, in that notion, you'll find that these are this Abishai was one of David's chief men. He was one of the band of 30. He was one of the ones yeah. who David had surrounded himself with and who David had entrusted and invested authority into. 
in the same way that Jesus took the apostles, the 12, and invested authority into them because they are going to be his main chief lieutenants. And, and so I think maybe this is a different way for some people maybe who are Christian, not Catholic, who um, whatever denomination, maybe they haven't read the Bible this way. So it, it, it yeah. can be difficult to begin to, but really this is the way that the Bible has always read itself. You, mm -hmm. you, you know, Paul is always talking about, you know, um, um, Abraham's two sons are signs of, of, of you know, of, sure. of, of the promise or signs of, of servitude, you know, like in a sense, everything means something. And since the Bible reads itself that way, the early church fathers would, re would read this as well. So as this unfolds, as we see in the life and ministry of, Ma of, of uh, Peter, that this does not mean Jesus saying, uh, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Um, you know, some really strong words from Jesus to Peter with authority. Yeah. Um, that does not mean that Peter then does everything perfect or yeah. that everything that Peter says is without error, which again, coming back to our understanding of the Pope, it would be crazy for us to think that everything the Pope does or everything the Pope says is right. perfect or without error. Um, but still, there's this definitive authority that has been given to Peter. What you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. What you loose, let go of on earth is, is loosed in heaven. That's, that's where we get the, the our beginning of our understanding of papal infallibility. And we'll talk a little bit more about that, that later on today and what exactly that means. But as this unfolds in, in, in the ministry, ministry of the rest of the, of the, the New Testament, Peter's always the first. Yeah. Amongst the apostles, he's always the first, um, for good or for ill. You know, you know, the the, the first yeah. to kind of step forward. He's the first to proclaim Jesus' lordship in, the, in this verse, right. and uh, he's always the one making the final decisions when it comes to the acts of the apostles. Even right. as other factions and powers sort of rise up, and so why then, you know, as we get past the, the time of the Bible um, into the, the the first century, why? Do we have the Pope being in Rome of all places? Like, what historically, what 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 is what is the the reason for that, and why is that important? If you go to Pope, if you go to Rome now, it's, it's you know I'm planning on going later on this year, and I'm, I'm <laughs> going to go try to go yeah. see the Pope while I'm there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, Peter, Peter was initially in Antioch, so he after after the after the Jews after they were expelled from Jerusalem and after they had to flee from Jerusalem, especially by the time of the burning of Jerusalem. Um, with the Zealot Revolt and I think it was 63 to 70. But you had the Christians were spread out. Peter originally ended up in Antioch, which is actually what the Antiochian church this day still looks to Peter as their founding apostle. Um, but we know definitively that, that Peter eventually migrated west to uh, Rome, ended up being in Rome when he was eventually martyred and helped establish along with St. Paul the community in Rome. There actually, Paul went there and there, Peter might have already, already been there by the time Paul got there. We don't, we're not 100% certain. But we know that Peter and Paul were the two founding apostles who ended up in Rome, and both of them were killed during the reign of Nero. Um, so that's where we'll find just in those, those 20, 30 years after Christ, we know definitively that Peter was crucified upside down. That's at least what all the tradition goes back. I think we have first, first and second century documents that go back and attest to that. Yeah, and, and Rome was a very strategic place. I mm. mean, you think about the Rome, well, you know, the, the old saying, we hear it now said, but we don't really understand why they were saying it, but there was a real reason why they were saying all roads lead to Rome is because Rome was the central, it was the heartbeat of not only Europe, but of all, of, you know, of every civilized nation that was over in there. All roads led to Rome because that was where everything happened. That's where the emperor was, that's where, you know, Caesars and all those, the, the, the industry, the, the latest in, in everything 
was there. And so it's a very strategic place to, to begin really ministry in the church. I think that's one of the reasons why Peter and Paul both went there was because if we're trying to get the message out, that's what Jesus called hmm. them to do, make disciples, take it into the world. And then even when he's talking to them in the book of Acts, he, you know, in, in the Acts of the Apostles, he talks about taking it to each you know, next city. He names three or four cities and it's the next city to the next city to the world. Here we are in Rome, and, and with all roads leading to Rome, that means also all roads go out of Rome as well. Right. And so yeah. you really want to get the message out, this is the place to go. This is where you start. And, and that was a perfect central hub for it to be, uh, I mean, the, the, the central heart of Christianity itself. Well, and it, all makes, it also makes perfect sense that as Jesus was expanding the gospel outside the Jewish faith, like if it, and that's the thing. Like it was for Jews. Jesus preached and wanted the Jews to have their faith first, but then he also wanted to go out to all the nations. I mean, to a certain extent, I mean, you can see the actions. At least I see the actions of the Holy Spirit moving through history. Had the faith remained localized in Jerusalem, which was the known Jewish capital of the world, then it still would have had a heavily Jewish, very Jewish. And that's actually the main fights in the early church was how Jewish are we going to be? And that was the first council mm -hmm. of Jerusalem. How Jewish are we going to be? Had the church maintained and stayed in, in Jerusalem, hmm. we, it would have probably maintained a lot more of its ethnicity as a Jewish, Jewish Christians. It was because of the transfer of the apostles and the transfer to Rome. Yeah. Um, well, even Paul, Paul that, that, well, it became yeah. much more Gentile. Yeah. Well, Paul, Paul really called uh, Israel a, a failure for not taking. The, the, the message of God and his love to the world. And that's the reason why Jesus came into the world was to take it away from them and give it to people who would do it. And that's the whole point of, of Jesus coming and, and giving it to the Gentiles and then the Gentiles taking it out. So it makes sense that you would kind of move the center of, of this movement that Jesus is starting away from a, a Jewish world where it could be kind of kept quiet to a place where it could not be kept quiet. It couldn't be contained. Well, I think it's interesting too, because we, we talked about this of, of, of of the exercise of authority in the church, because that's where a lot of people would struggle with, mm -hmm. uh, with you know, the Pope, you know, as we have. Sure. But again, that first council of Jerusalem where they're asking these tough questions, the, the gospel has begun to go out to non-Jews, to Gentiles, questions about how they need to behave, do they need to become Jewish? But there's this point where they, they've all met together, they've had a council, basically. Uh, Paul and Barnabas have presented their case of what they've seen, the Holy Spirit at work amongst the Gentiles. And they have this great moment where they stand up and this letter is, is, is delivered and it says, it is a decision of the Holy Spirit and of us. So in a sense, like recognizing this, this work of the church, even when new issues arise, that they can speak in confidence that they're speaking like what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What yeah. you loose on earth is loose in heaven. Yeah. And that, that continues throughout the history of the church because obviously new things would occur. And I, I love too with, with the action, um, aspect of Rome because the Pope is the Bishop of Rome. Right. So the Bishop of the, the Roman diocese, you know, that area. Um, and, and because Peter died in Rome and then his successors, Linus and Cletus and Clement and Sixtus Cornelius, Cyprian, you know, all, yeah. all, all, all through, you know, down 267 or however many it is till we're at Pope, Pope yeah. Francis right now, that the Lord uses the brokenness and even like the evil of this world, because you can think of Ro the Roman Empire, they're the ones that killed Jesus. Right. They're the ones that like, you know, subjugated two thirds of the world's population, but Jesus uses them, this is how God works too, and he yeah. works even on our daily lives as well, our own sinfulness. He uses their crucifixion of him to save them. Right. He uses the roads that Rome builds 
in order to subjugate the world. He uses that to be the roads by which Paul and, and the other apostles and, and, and missionaries would travel in order to bring right. the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's really amazing how God works. So why so God chooses as kind of the capital of his, of his church yeah. that place that had been the capital of, 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 of paganism. And, and in a natural place, not a place where you would, you would think it would be. I mean, our first... You know, our first reaction as, as human beings is to protect ourselves, not to put ourselves in harm's way. And by going to Rome, they knew exactly what was going to happen. They yeah. knew exactly that they would be martyred and they would be killed. And so, I mean, if you were wanting to start a, a movement and you were saying, where should we do this at? But probably the last place you would have thought of, if you're thinking worldly, is I'm not going to Rome and start it. They'll kill us. Right. So why would we go to Rome and start it? But when you see all these other advantages and you feel the move of the Holy Spirit to go there, that these men saw putting their lives on the line as more important than sharing the gospel itself, knowing that if we go there, yes, we're going to be killed, but the message is going to go out through the world, then it's a natural fit. And which is why the early church fathers writing, I mean, the successors of the apostles were writing that it's the blood of the martyrs, which is the seed of the church. Hmm. Yeah. And it's yeah. from the blood of the martyrs, from the blood of the apostles. Yeah. It's from the shed blood of those who have given their life that yeah. we find that this is the fertile ground upon which the seed of faith grows out of our, and that the seed of faith grows in the church. So like this notion of like the apostles shedding their blood in Rome, as we know that most certainly Peter and Paul both were martyred. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I love that. I'm going to Rome, uh, like as I said, later yeah. on this year. Yeah. And we're going to take what's called the Scavi tour, which is goes underneath St. Peter's, the big, you know, big, you know, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Yeah. And underneath that, they did excavations in the middle 20th century. And it takes you, it's a first century Roman graveyard. And yeah. it takes you to a, a, a burial plot that is the where St. Peter was buried after he was crucified upside yeah. down, according yeah. to tradition. And has from the first century where pilgrims would go there. And it was like, it was a pilgrimage site. So in a sense, yeah. like the church is literally built, which says, you are Peter and upon this rock, right. I will build my church. Yeah. That the church is quite literally built right, right. Over, the, over that rock. You know, that, that, yeah. that's not, that, that's not the, the totality of what, yeah. we, what we mean is that, yeah. you know, on this foundation of, of Peter, which is crazy. Again, you know, yeah. the Lord knows how fickle Peter is. Sure. He knows how fickle Francis is, or John yeah. Paul II, or, or Urban the Sixth, yeah. or whatever right. it is. Yeah. You know, but still, yeah. he decides to do that, and still, the church is, is right. based on that foundation. And, and I think that's another important thing because I think that usually one of the dissenting views, one of the criticisms of of Peter being the first pope and and us going through all of this, is this on the rock? This this you know what the rock meant because there's all sorts of interpretations of what the rock really was in this passage of scripture in Matthew 16, you know? Um, people who, who would argue against us believing that Peter was the rock would argue that it was his statement that was the rock. His statement of faith, that's what Jesus is gonna build you know, his church on, or what, whatever, I mean, there's any number of, of explanations that, that may be there, but, but we do know that through, through understanding what the words that Jesus used, and how he used them that, that Peter really is the rock. Well, but I also think that Scripture interprets Scripture. Yeah. So let's go back to the last time that Jesus referred to a rock in Scripture, which is that he says, build your house upon rock. Hmm. Yeah. Build your house not upon sand. Because when the winds blow, right, if your house mm -hmm. is built upon sand, it will wash away. Versus right. if you build it upon rock. And that's why the first person <laughs> to recognize with faith the presence yeah. of Christ is Peter, who is called the rock. Right. Which is that despite all the tribulations, all the storms, all the crazy scandals, all the terrible things that have happened in the history of the Catholic Church, 
the Catholic Church is still here 2,000 years later. Yeah. The Church of Peter has survived all the storms and will continue to survive because the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Right. So despite corruption, despite all the things, I mean, to me, the greatest proof for why I'm Catholic, or one of the greatest proofs, mm-hmm. is because we're still here despite sometimes being the most incompetently, inanely run institution. <laughs> we're the most disorganized yeah. religion, disorganized, organized religion in the world, yet yeah, we're still here. Like, we yeah. have had so many scandals and so many bad popes uh, that- Bad but, priests, bad Yeah, that we should, we, should yeah. Have, we should have been broken years ago upon yeah. the storms of, mm-hmm. of corruption, yet we haven't. We're still here because the Holy Spirit is present in the rock and in the church. But that's why we also need, we need that authority because without a central authority, without a person who in times of conflict can say yes or no. That's why Peter protects us from schism. And this was actually in the scriptures, right there in the scriptures. Peter is protecting Mm -hmm. Paul and James from being in a schism, a irreconcilable difference where they split and they no longer. It's Peter who in that is able to bring them together at that council of Jerusalem. And this actually kind of plays out uh, throughout history. I think this kind of, we can kind of go into the difference that the Pope yeah. makes, why we think every Christian yeah. should be in union with the Catholic Church, you should be yeah. in union with the Catholic Church, and you should have a Pope, is, yeah. is, is for the fundamental reason is that, 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 that foundation. I love that you brought up that scripture that the Lord, the Lord tells us is the house built on rock, even though the storms will come. I'm not saying like yeah. they might come, it says they will come. Yeah. The waves will come, the crashing, you know, the hurricanes will hit you, and the rock that's the house that's built on rock will stand. The one that's not will, will fall apart. And so the Lord, in His wisdom, again, not we didn't decide this. The, we, the Pope's not here because the Church decided this. This is Jesus's idea. He's right. the one who set this up, and the Church is still here because of that. I think of like the early the controversies that have raged in the Church, where at one point in the Church. You know, no one thinks about like, oh, I'm an Arian, but Arian, right. Arianism was a heresy that many bishops, many leaders, many whole congregations throughout the church were following, and it was it, yeah. was, it was about One the point. Divin- it was Athanasius versus the world. Yeah, and that's what they said. And, and so yeah. when it came, the the lone like defender, authoritative mm-hmm. defender of of orthodoxy was the Pope. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, that that's why you know the Orthodox faith, meaning right belief that yeah. we have, comes from this institution, as 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 beleaguered as it might be, that flows. And I love this too. That one of the images that the church uses is the bark of Peter. Bark meaning like boat of Peter. Right. That Jesus gets in the bark of Peter uh, when he when he calls him. That came came up yeah. just a few weeks ago at Mass, mm-hmm. and he teaches from Peter's bark. And there's something beautiful about the simplicity yeah. of that. That we can we can get into all the pomp and circumstance and and historical uh, you know uh, accruing kind of details of like rings and and shoes and hats, sure. but those are very unimportant next to Jesus getting into Peter's boat, saying put you know put out you know and teaching yeah. from that place, and then telling Peter to put out into the deep to let down your nets for a catch. So I want to I want to just just touch on real quickly because because this is one of the questions that people have oftentimes yeah. is like. The, the stuff the Pope wears, the, the things, you know, uh, the the, uh, the why behind those, you know, obviously it's it's different for our sensibility. He's not wearing street clothes. Sure. He's not even generally wearing kind of, I mean, people might be got, get used to clerical wear like we're wearing right now. But um, so the hat, so let's start with the word Pope. Like what exactly does that mean and why do we call him that? Because uh, Jesus does not say, Peter, I call you Pope Peter. And right, upon, right. Upon you, Pope, Pope Peter. So yeah, yeah, what, what, yeah. What, what does Pope mean? Yeah, Papa. Yeah, comes daddy, daddy, father. No, all right, next one. That's yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. Well, no, that's that's what it is. Actually, but there's yeah. there's the objection that that mm-hmm. that other uh, denominations, uh, Protestant denominations, will raise against Catholics is that why are you calling people father? Jesus says, 
uh, call I, no man father. Call no man father. Yeah. Therefore, they say they'll try to use scripture and say that you are referring to the Pope as father or ourselves okay. as father. Um, but then let's let's also not forget that Paul also established the Roman Church. And Paul very clearly to Timothy and then also to his communities, he, he says, you've had many guardians in Christ, many guardians. He said, you've only had one father. He said, I was a father to you. Right. And so this notion of referring to the Holy Father as, but not, not, not thought, but as, as, but in a f familial affectionate way, which is actually what the word Pope means. It, yeah. it literally means daddy, it means papa. Yeah. It's like this notion that you are my papa, you are the one who has fed my faith, who continues to feed the faith and continues to protect the faith as a father protects his house, Peter protects the house of the church. Peter makes mistakes. Yeah. Right. But in terms of his ability to exercise his exousia, his authority, like Peter is the is truly our father. And that's yeah. why in the same sense that Paul refers to himself as the father of the Corinthians and the Galatians and so forth, like we still in the same way, Jesus was not abolishing the institution of fatherhood. Or, or right. he wasn't abolishing the institution of teachers either, because in that no. same line it's it says, you know, call no man teacher, teacher, yeah. teacher yeah. you know? And, and yeah. obviously, yeah. so what Jesus is doing is safeguarding that all fatherhood, all all, all teacherhood, <laughs> yeah. all that flows from God, you know, right. flows from God and from, and from right. his Christ, from, from, from the Son of God. So to always put it in place, it should always be leading us to that. Any true teacher should be leading us towards the one teacher, yeah. which is Jesus. Any true father should be leading us towards the Father who is our Father and in heaven. I think another reason, too, is just because God, God wasn't trying to form a nation, if you will. God was forming a family. Hmm. And, and as a Correct. family, we have a father. And, and so, yes, he is our father in heaven. There's no doubt about it. But that there will be other fathers. I mean, we, Father Abraham. I mean, you look in the, in the early, you know, in, in the nation of Israel, all these men were seen as fathers before they were ever seen as king or, you know, and that's the reason why God really tried to protect them against that. And so you don't need a king. You, you don't right. need a king. But they wanted a king, so he gave them one. And so in the church, though, you know, Jesus gives us a father. And that's who's really leading his family. I mean, these 12 men that were that were brought up, these were 12 tribes or 12 families. And, and they were made one family, the nation of Israel. And we make one family called the church. And, yeah. and yeah, I think it's important too that so many of the things that the Pope has had titles and places of, of yeah. importance, you know, political or leading armies, those have faded away. But what doesn't fade away is this special role in the family of God. Yep. You know, and, and, and that's that's the most important thing. I recognize that for any of us, all of us, you mentioned St. Paul, we're part of the body of Christ. We mm -hmm. might have a different role than one another, and we uh -huh. do have different roles, but all of us are, are no no less important because of that. Well, right. and, the, and the, I think the more actually official title is actually patriarch. So. Yeah. Patriarch, which goes to Abraham, who was the patriarch of Israel. Peter is the patriarch of the Roman church, mm -hmm. the Antiochian church, just as actually you'll find that uh, Mark is the patriarch of the Egyptian Coptic church. Sure. You'll find, and likewise, there still is actually a papa, a patriarch of, of, uh, of Constantinople. The, yeah, of Constantinople, of, uh, in Egypt, you'll find multiple different popes throughout the world who are each the successors of one of the apostles. And there, sure. I think there's still about six, six patriarchs who are just are still recognized as having a seamless, unbroken line back to their apostle. And we can trace our seamless, unbroken line back to Peter, so our, the patriarch, the father of our faith. Just the, the word po um, pope has always just become more of an affectionate term. So yeah. pope means papa, okay, mm -hmm. we got that. Yeah. The, uh, so another thing, the, um, another important thing that people ask, we talked about the hat at the beginning, so we're gonna have to get to this. He wears the big hat, big pointy hat. What exactly, 
What is that about? Why why does he do that? Besides it just looking awesome. It's to trap oh. the brain inside, I think. Yeah. So it doesn't escape. <laughs> and actually what I've heard about that, and again, that's one of those things that's developed over years and years and years. A bishop mm-hmm. wears that upon their ordination. He's the bishop of Rome, is that is it's actually modeled after a flame. You know, so right. in a sense, it recalls Pentecost. The, uh, the, the the fires the tongues of fire that descended on the heads of the apostles in the upper room, yeah. and that's where their 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 uh, their authority and their power in preaching to the ends of the earth, preaching in every language and tongue, all all that comes from as well. Yeah. So I, I love that yeah. image whenever I see yeah. a, a bishop or the pope wearing wearing one yeah. of those those funny hats. Yeah, and, the, and the anointing that was given to them, you know, in, mm. in that office that they've been given, that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and that, that, you know, this flame would be, I mean, it really does give an evangelical feel to really what they're supposed to be doing. And of course, it's beautiful when you see that with, with the pope himself, how, how much coverage he gets. He's Days and the opportunities he has, and who he gets to speak to, that he would wear that as a symbol of, you know, of who he is in, in Christ, and bishops as well, who he's been called to be and anointed to be. And it also calls to mind the the investor of the priest in the Old Testament, Aaron and his sons. Mm-hmm. So Aaron and mm-hmm. his sons had were invested with authority. And that's actually what the word investor means, to be given authority. They had the authority to be priests, and therefore in that investor, which always you get the word vestments. Mm-hmm. Right, so the vestments of the office, the, like the cope and or the chasuble, and all the different vestments which we wear, which is a sign of the investure of authority. But even the high priest of ancient Israel had that particular the mitre, the, the particular yeah. mitre, the particular yeah. one, as well as he had his the various different uh, vestments which he wore, which symbolized the authority which had been given to him. In the same way, which we'll find that in the church, and it's important to say this too to keep coming back to, particularly for someone who's not Catholic. If you understand, you know Jesus, that we as priests or the Pope mm-hmm. as as a bishop or anything else, that we only have a, we don't have any authority apart from Jesus. It's not like Jesus has got this authority and I've got this much as well, right. and I can do my own thing. But you know, no, anything we do is a participation in the authority of Jesus. Right. Right. It's right. participation. Right. In, whenever they see you, see you, they see me. Whenever right. they hear you, they hear me. You know, Jesus mm-hmm. gives us. He gives the Holy Spirit, gives the power to forgive sins, to bind and loose to to, to the church, and particularly to those who are in leadership of the church. But it's always a participation in His His well, own power. And also, with those who have been given much will be expected. Yeah. Oh, yes. And so that notion of of those who have been invested with authority, it would be better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and be cast into the sea than to lead yeah. a little one who was entrusted to them astray. Hmm. And so that notion of actually that John Chrysostom, who was writing in the 400s, I believe it was, or just short of that, says mm-hmm. that the road to hell is paved in the bones of priests who have yeah. misused their authority and it's lit by the skulls of bishops wow. who have preached the false gospel. Right, right. And so that notion of that, no, the, those who have been invested with authority, those who have been given the authority of the apostles, the, the authority of priests who have been invested, they misuse that authority that God's judgment upon them will be more severe. Hmm. So anyway, so so for us, w- with this kind of understanding, this biblical understanding, this historical understanding of the papacy of the Pope, how does this help your faith? You know, how, how does this help you in being in full communion with the church? And I would like to invite anyone who's watching right now, who's not Catholic, to consider becoming Catholic, coming into full communion with the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And part of that is having the Pope. So how does that help you as a follower of Jesus Christ to, to, uh, to, to follow him even more dynamically or even with more clarity or direction? It, it is probably 
the the single most reason why I am Catholic hmm. because as a Christian I don't necessarily have to be Catholic. I mean that's that's what we we see. There's plenty of Christians who who claim you know who are not necessarily Catholic, but to have the fullness of the faith itself, to have the fullness of what Jesus offered and gave to us as as Christians is to be Catholic, and so and we find that in one place. There's one place where there's a Pope. I mean really truly the way we see what we're talking about here, and that's here. And so, I mean, it, for me, it, it was the single most central point for me because I, I was able to finally find where Jesus' people were. I mean, that, that's really mm. the way that I've seen this, is, is that um, this is exactly what Jesus set up. This is exactly what he signaled. This is exactly how he would tell us that we would find his people, is through this, this office that was there. And so when, when I see the papacy, it means everything to me in the sense of it draws me closer to Jesus because I know I'm with his people. I know I'm going to be hearing the truth of what he wants for, for us as people and for his church itself. And so it was a drawing point for me, no doubt. Hmm. I think for me, the, the office of the Pope, one, for stability, consistency, obviously, but also for weakness. Like I love the fact that the Pope is flawed, that the Pope is a man, the Pope makes mistakes and that Jesus built his church upon the weakest link, not the strongest one. Mm. He didn't choose St. Peter because he was a brilliant academic. As far as we can tell, he was a untrained fisherman, mm. right? And yet he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and therefore the man who was fearful, who boasted and then failed, is the one who Jesus built his church upon. So like, it shows the humanity at the heart of the church, which is why when we see failure, or I see failure in the church, even at the highest of offices, like the question becomes always for me is like, well, this is why Jesus came into the world was to save all of us, including the Pope. Mm-hmm. The Pope needs to be saved. Yep, absolutely. Like, so, but the question is like, when we're talking about the failures of the Pope, are we talking about the failures of his character? Because that's part of our church. Or are we talking about the failures of when he teaches? And that's for me always a big, huge thing is the difference is between, well, is the Pope touching the teachings of the church or is he clarifying the teachings of the church? What, is, what is, has been revealed to be true? Or are we looking at flaws of character? And that's why we, if we look at the, the teaching authority, and that's where we believe in, especially in the infallibility of the Pope, is that the Pope does have the ability to clarify, to clarify those teachings. But it's in, in his character that we can also find the humanity of our own hearts. Because like, I'm not perfect. And yes. <laughs> looking to yeah. looking to Peter, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know that. But yeah. looking to Peter, like I'm, I'm like I'm in the right yeah. church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. And I would say twice. too, because um, just kind of getting back to when the Pope declares something infallibly, that is a teaching of the Church. The Pope has that authority. It's something very rarely exercised, um, but it really is only in areas of faith and morals. And when it is declared, you know, from the chair, so a very rare. Yeah, he literally you know, has to write from the chair of Peter. Right. So, so a, a, unity, a rare event. really in unity with, with the other bishops. Yeah, he's not so, doing that. So he, like, he didn't just come up with something and go, oh, I think I'll do that. Because he, he's, yeah. he's, he's a servant. Concert. He's a servant of the. Like, infallibly, I, did, yeah. I declare right. today Chick Fil A day. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take, I'll take yeah, that. I'll do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he, and he's a, he can't change scripture. He's a servant yeah. of scripture. He's a servant right. of revelation. He's a servant of Jesus Christ. You know, um, one of the, the titles of the Pope that I love is servant of the servants of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things, and I would say too, how this strengthens my faith, in addition to everything we've been talking about, this connection through the ages, is the, the universality of the church. The church is Catholic, mm-hmm. which means universal, means worldwide. And so this is for everybody. Like So really within the Catholic church, you see the fulfillment of Jesus' command to make disciples of all nations. Yeah that every language on earth is, is spoken within the Catholic Church. In a yeah. sense, what happened at Pentecost, where all those languages are being spoken and heard 
and the gospel is being proclaimed. That happens every day within the Catholic Church. And we have the Pope as kind of the unifying uh, figure here on earth of that. Yeah. I love that when I was... And when I was born, our Pope was Polish, Pope John Paul II, St. John Paul II, who I love. Yeah. I almost touched him once. Yeah. It was a great moment yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. for him and for me. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, I mean, then we had a German Pope after that, Pope Benedict XVI. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. Ratzinger. And then mm-hmm. now we have an Argentinian Pope. Um, yeah. You know, so in a sense, like, we might have a Pope from who knows, you know, from, from Asia or from Africa. Uh, um, probably not from the United States uh, for, our, for our next Pope. Maybe one day. We'll see. Yeah. But in a sense, kind of the universality of the church, I absolutely love that. And it kind of breaks me out of the uh, sort of, you know, the closed-minded way that I, I, I tend towards. I'm, I'm American. I'm proud to be American. I love I love being American. But in a sense, we can close in on make that's all that there is, but recognize, recognizing the gospels for everybody. Yeah. And we're part of a church where every single person, whether they're American or from Uganda or from China, every single one of us are part of, of the universal church, the Catholic church that Jesus founded yeah. under the leadership of Peter, of the sure. Pope. Well, guys, uh, the, a great conversation. Thank you so much for, 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 for diving in. Thank you guys for watching. Hopefully it helped you to get a better sense of why Catholics have a Pope and the importance that he, he uh, has in our lives and how you too can have a Pope as well by becoming <laughs> coming into full communion with the Catholic Church. Uh, so from all of us here at Catholic in America, God bless you and we'll see you next time.